Hello and welcome to The Wanderer, the podcast that discusses Anglo-Saxon poetry and Anglo-Saxon heathenism. I hope you enjoy this episode, and this episode is about Woden. If a West Saxon farmer in pagan times had walked out of his bury or tun above the Vale of Pusey some autumn day and looking up to the hills had caught sight of a bearded stranger seeming in long cloak larger than life as he stalked the skyline through low cloud and if they had met at the gallows by the crossroads where a body still dangled and if the farmer had noticed the old wanderer glancing up from under a shadowy hood or floppy-brimmed hat with a gleam of recognition out of his one piercing eye, as though acclaiming a more than ordinary interest, a possessive interest in the corpse. And if a pair of ravens had tumbled out of the mist at that moment, and a couple of wolves howled to one another in some nearby wood, and if the stranger had been helping himself along with a massive spear larger by far than normal, and if all this had induced in the beholder a feeling of awe, then he would have been justified in believing that he was in the presence of Woden, tramping the world of men over his own Wandsdyke. Such a picture may appear these days fanciful, but there is evidence to suggest it all in our own native English sources. We know from place names that there was a centre of Woden worship above the Vale of Pusey. In fact, if place names are any guide, Woden was the most widely honoured of the heathen gods in England, for we find him commemorated as the patron settlements among the Angles of Northumbria, the East and West Saxons of Essex and Wessex, and the Dukes of Kent. There is no shadow of a doubt that the aristocracy of the Old English looked upon Woden as chief god. The genealogies of the kings bear witness to the former dignity of Woden's name, for even in Christian times, the royal houses of Kent, Essex, Wessex, Deira, Bernicia and East Anglia all trace back to Woden. But who was Woden? And if Tew had originally been the old Skyfather and chief of the gods, in order to answer this question, we may first confine ourselves to native evidence and begin with the name Woden. The primitive West Europeans had all called him Wodenaz, a name which developed into Wutan in Old High German, into Wodan in Old Saxon, into Woden, later Odin in Old Norse and into Woden in Old English. We can therefore accept him as a primitive West European god known to all the tribes of the group. There is a dispute still unsettled as to what were the antecedents and relatives of the word Wodenaz in Indo-European languages. There are two possible explanations. One suggests that Wodenaz was first believed to be a wind or storm god with power over the dead, and the other that he was a divine magician who by self-sacrifice had brought wisdom to men. There is evidence that the old English believed Woden to possess attributes which reflect both characters. In short, he was for them both a god of wisdom and a god of death. The wild hunt, which is closest to that imagined by the pagan old English, is to be found in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, under the entry for AD 1127. Let no one be surprised at what we are about to relate, for it was common gossip up and down the countryside, that after February the 6th, many people both saw and heard a whole pack of huntsmen in full cry. They straddled black horses and black bucks while their hounds were pitch black, with staring hideous eyes. This was seen in the very deer park of Peterborough Town, 
and in all the woods stretching from that same spot as far as Stamford. All through the night, monks heard them sounding and winding their horns. Reliable witnesses who kept watch in the night declared that there might well have been twenty or even thirty of them in this wild tantivy as near as they could tell. As well as Woden's patronage of the dead, in a 10th century alliterative homily printed in Kemble's Solomon and Saturn, once there lived a man who was Mercury called. He was vastly deceitful and cunning in his deeds. He loved well to steal and all lying tricks. The heathens had made him the highest of their gods, and at the crossroads they offered him booty, and to the high hills brought him victims to slay. This god was most honoured among all the heathen. His name, when translated to Danish, is Odin. This identification of Woden with Mercury is borne out by the name we still use for the fourth day of the week. The Romans came to call that day after Mercury, namely Mercury. Mercury dies, which we still find in modern French as Mercredi. When our ancestors adopted the Roman calendar, they called the fourth day after their god whom they supposed corresponded to Mercury, and that was Woden. Hence, Woden is dead. Modern Wednesday, Woden and Mercury were identified because of their connection with the leading of the souls of the dead. And we can be certain of this, because if Woden had been identified with the chief god of the Romans, then this name would have been given to the fifth day of the week, Jove's Day, which has become Judy in French. Perhaps I may now deal with the other main characteristic of the god of the dead, his magical wisdom. This is implicit in his name. Say the authorities who do not hold with the etymology of Wodenes, which I have already discussed, but who declare that the name is related to Latin vertes and Irish faith. A sort of bard. Among the Gauls, the Vates were more of a wizard, a combination of soothsayer and sacrificial priest, as we gather from Strabo, who says the bards are minstrels and poets. But the Vates are offerers of sacrifices and interpreters of nature. We may note in passing that Saxo Grammaticus calls Odin Vates. The runes and the problem of the origin of runes and their earliest use seems now to be more or less settled. According to the latest authorities, our ancestors received the runic alphabet through the Etruscans and their first development of it was not for writing or reading but magically for divination. And the god most closely connected with these symbols was Wodenes. We may be sure of this from the old English evidence of the Nine Herbs charm, quoted, where the glory twigs are slivers of wood with runes cut into them, and from Old Norse evidence which makes Odin the discoverer of runes, Wodenes was taken to be the wise magician. Nor is this later and one-sided development of Woden by the Old English or of Odin by the Northmen. The association of Woden, Odin, with runes and wisdom is reflected in two passages of Old English and Old Norse verse, which have occasioned a good deal of debate. There is, however, no possibility of doubt about their real meaning, which is the same in either case, that the god by self-sacrifice won knowledge for the benefit of men. The Old English reference is again from the Nine Herbs charm. Time and fennel appear great in power. The wise Lord, holy in heaven, wrought these herbs while he hung on the cross. He placed them and put them in the seven worlds to aid all, rich and poor.
While in the Norse passage, Odin himself tells of his wild experience in stanzas 138, 139 and 141 of the Lay of the High One. I trow that I hung on the windy tree, swung their knights all of nine, gashed with a blade, blooded for Odin. Myself an offering to myself, knotted to that tree, no man knows whither the root of it runs. None gave me bread, none gave me drink, down to the depths I peered, to snatch up runes with a roaring screech and fall in a dizzied faint. Well-being I won, and wisdom too. I grew and joyed in my growth from a word to a word. I was led to a word from a deed to another deed. In the last 200 years, romantically inclined poets and composers, not to mention paranoic dictators, have seized on the Valhalla Valkyrie conception and twisted them after their own liking. Gray, Wagner and Hitler have all played some part in misrepresenting both the old English and Old Norse conception of Woden Odin as a god of the dead. We have now to try to estimate how our English forefathers really regarded Woden in this aspect of his godhead. But before doing so, it is necessary to disentangle Wodenes from Tiwaz, for the problem is made the more difficult by Woden's having assumed some of the attributes of the old sky father. At the beginning of the Christian era, just as Christ was locked in a life and death struggle with Mithras, so the Northwest European sky father Tiwas was fighting with Wodenaz. If not to the death, at least for supremacy, as we have seen Wodenaz won and the sky father was pushed very much into the background, the outline of the development appears to have been this. By the first century AD, many Northwest European tribes accepted Tiwas and Wodenaz as equals. The Roman historian Tacitus links them together in his Annals when he says of two Northwest European peoples, that same summer, AD 58, the Humunduri and the Chatti fought a great battle. They both wanted to grab hold of the rich salt-producing river flowing between them. The Chatti were defeated and with catastrophic results, but each side in the event of victory had dedicated the other to Tiwes and Wodenaz. This vow meant that every man-jack of the beaten side, together with the horses and every possession, had to be destroyed. An even earlier example of this custom is mentioned by Orosius, who describes the defeat of the Romans Scipio and Malleus by the Cimbri, a tribe from Jutland in 105 BC. Orosius says that the Cimbri captured both Roman camps and a huge beauty. They proceeded to destroy everything they could lay hands on in fulfilment of a novel and unusual vow. All clothing was ripped in pieces and cast away. Gold and silver were flung into the river. The war coats of the men were hacked to bits. The horses themselves were drowned under. The men were strung up on trees with nooses around their necks so that no booty remained for the victor, nor was any pity shown to the vanquished. This particular battle was fought in the lower Rhone Valley, but the Cimbri had begun their wandering from Jutland about 113 BC and remnants of the tribe had been left behind in Jutland, as we know from an account of an embassy they sent to the Roman emperor. Wodenaz and Tiwaz. We may conclude then that by the 1st century BC, Wodenaz was already challenging Tiwaz for precedence. There is some slight evidence that the first English invaders of Britain practiced this rite of total immolation of an enemy and its material 
Judging from certain entries in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, especially that for the year 18491. This year, Ayala and Sisa lay siege to Pevensey and slaughtered everybody living there. Not one single Briton was allowed to remain alive. That Wodenes was gaining ground over Tiwes by AD 98 has already been suggested by Tacitus' remark put forward as evidence that, above all gods, the Germanoi worshipped Mercury and counted no sin to win his favour on certain days with human sacrifices. We now have to try to decide how far, if at all, Anglo-Saxon Woden developed into a lord of Valhalla. The Norse name Valhalla would be Welhel in Old English. No record of Welhel has come down to us, but it's not conclusive evidence of the terms never having existed in Anglo-Saxon. Indeed, a case for it could be made out of the analogy of an Old English word which is recorded and which corresponds to the Old Norse Valkyra or Valkyrie. This word occurs in Old English as Welkyrd, whereby the 10th century, at least as one might expect, the Welkyrd was linked with witches and other male factors as an enemy of the Christian God. This tradition was tough enough to be recorded as late as the 14th century when the word turns up in the poem called Cleanness. In the phrase witches and Valkyries, it is beyond reasonable doubt that such beings are referred to in the charm against rheumatism. Loud were they, low, loud when they rode over the grave low. Fierce were they, when over the land they rode. I stood under a light linden shield, when the mighty women betrayed their power, and yelling hurled their spears. These are creatures similar to the witchwives of Harold Hadrada's saga. They are connected with death and the grave. They ride noisily and fiercely over the land, yelling as they go. In the 8th and 10th centuries, we find Old English manuscript glossing Wilkirk for Erinys, the ancient Greek Furies. This gloss suggests that the Old English Wilkirk was something quite different from the conventional Valkyrie of the Viking Age and that even when we make allowances for the bedeviling of the creature by Christian writers, the original Wilkirk was a much darker and bloodthirstier being than one of Odin's maids. The Woden of the Old English never became the warrior king in Golden Helmet, exclusive patron of princes and jarls such as Snorri depicted in his Edda. He was never preoccupied with the problem of organising his battalions of slain into a doomed army to oppose the children of Muspel at the Ragnarok. Instead, the Anglo-Saxon Woden stalked the rolling downland, one-eyed and wise beyond all knowing in cloak and hood when the weather was fine, stopping at crossroads to recognise his own dangling from the gallows. But on black and stormy nights, he racketed across the sky at the head of his wild hunt of lost and noisy souls. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of The Wanderer. And if you liked this episode, I hope you tune in next time to learn more about Anglo-Saxon poetry and Anglo-Saxon heathenism. Thank you.